Blog Talk Radio. Writer's Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, and uh, we've got hey, Courtney joining us uh, right now. Let me uh, get him on here. Hey, uh, Courtney, are you on? I, I am sure here. All right, awesome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show tonight. Uh, oh, well, no, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I always invite you. I love I love having you on um Usually a wealth of knowledge, and uh, most people don't know, but Courtney and I, I, I have talked before, you know, um, just privately or whatever about stuff, and I just I could talk to you for like hours. So, um, <laughs> uh, and I, I bet we have. I know we talked a long Geeks time that one time we just chatted, you know. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you once again. Um, so you've been on. Uh, been at Fred's Roundtable, I think maybe twice, um, and maybe the Independent right, Corner, yeah. I'm not sure. So, um, uh, but this is a different podcast. This is all about writing. So, um, this is the the writer's process. So, more about the um, the craft of writing and everything like that. So, uh, starting from like, I, I like to start from the kind of the beginning and talk about. Um, I like to hear people's ideas of like uh how they they deal with like starting a project. Um when you first get that initial idea that pops in your head, what's the first thing you do? Well, you know things have shifted around for me just a little bit because now uh because I I've, I've gone and written prose and things like that. So now it's like, well, gee, is this a good idea for a movie or is this a good idea for a book or a short story? So fortunately, it's kind of now you, your brain shifts into what gears it needs to uh, as to what format you're going to pursue. Right. And, but I think how do you most of my ideas generally are, are movie ideas. Well, how do you decide that? How do you decide if this is a book idea or if this is a movie idea? Well, I think as, and I'm still a bit of a, a, a novice when it comes to uh, uh, the, the fiction writing. Um, at least I feel I am. I think that uh, the main thing is, of course, with uh, with the prose, is you get to spread yourself out a little bit. You get to take more time uh, to explore what you want your story to be. And uh, you have a little bit, of course, you have uh, a lot more flexibility with vocabulary and uh, and you certainly don't have to think in terms of budget when you're writing a novel. You can go as crazy as you want to. So I think that uh, sometimes it's a breadth and scope of what the uh, what the story is going to be. Usually, to me, dictates the way I'm going to approach it, uh, because certainly as a screenwriter, uh, to come up with some idea that is just beyond you know the ability for anybody to shoot it. Uh, so you've written a script that doesn't do anyone any good, including yourself. 
But at the same time, you could come up with an absolutely fantastic idea that takes place, you know, 2,000 years into the future and an entire, you know, mega society and, and all these wonderful tropes and, you know, really exploring, say, something like Philip K. Dick or someone like that. And uh, you could just let your imagination run wild. And to me, that that's a book, uh, not a screenplay. Right. Well, um, okay, so, you know, you've, you've written in the past with other, uh, you know, uh, for other companies and things like that, like you've written, written stuff for Full Moon, um, and I even believe Empire, right, back in the Empire days. Oh, yes, absolutely, sure. Yeah. Um, so my big my big thing about that is, like, um, how do you, like, as a writer, um, how do you adapt to other taking notes and, and listening to other people, but also being an original uh, writer in the process? Well, okay. When uh, well, we'll take uh, let's take Puppet Master uh, Three as an example. Um, I had already written a movie that Empire Pictures had released called Prison that Rennie Harlan directed, and. Uh, and that movie did well, and it's got a little bit of a cult reputation and all of that. And then I went away and did things for other companies like the class of 1999, and I did a TV movie at CBS and different things. And I ran into Charlie Band, uh, actually just tagged along with a friend on an acting audition, and it happened to be at Full Moon. So it was a chance to go see people and say hi and reconnect. And I saw Charlie, and we started talking about things, and he wanted to do another Puppet Master. And he proposed that I write it, and he knew I'd been working for these other folks. What intrigued me was the fact that he wanted to do a prequel to the first movie. Now, he had his deal with Paramount, but these were directed, those days, direct to videotape movies, so the budget was not going to be gigantic or anything like that. But because it was going to be World War II, and it was going to be set in Germany and dealing with uh, Andre Toulon and all that stuff. Uh, he let me kind of run wild with that, and that's when I decided, well, let's make this very much like those great 1960s uh, British uh, films like Operation Crossbow and Night of the Generals and Where Eagles Dare were all shot at Pinewood and you know what I call the Pinewood Nazi movies. And let's try and duplicate that even on our, you know, limited resources and limited budget. But So uh, they thought that would be a very fun approach, and uh, Dave Dakota was always going to produce and direct, uh, producing with John Schuweiler. And so Dave and I sat down, and we watched a bunch of movies, and he endorsed uh, my approach, and then they just let me run with it. So... There Now, I have, of course, had to stay within the Puppet Master universe. I'd never written any of those films before. I had to get familiar with the individual puppet characters, what their powers were, all of that stuff. And But beyond that, and just kind of staying within that framework, they let me go go crazy. And as I remember, when I was writing number three, I think the second one that David Allen had directed uh, had just been made. 
And I went to a screening of that, and we really just, again, ours was going to take place before Puppet Master 2. So it gave me a lot of freedom just to go and have a ball. But I wanted, I was had in my mind at least to imitate a certain uh, movie style and things like that as I went into that one, which was always the fun of working for a company like Full Moon because as long as you kind of stay within the dollars and cents, as you said, being an original writer, uh, you you could, you know, do follow your own voice and your own instincts, but uh, you always had to keep your eye on the bottom line, and you couldn't come up with something that would have been impossible for them to uh, realize. Yeah, wow, yeah. Because, yeah, you look at a movie like um, Puppet Master 3 and um, uh, even Transfers 3, which you directed, you know, I'm sure it was a little bit, uh, you know, obviously you're in a canon that you have to kind of follow you know, you can't go, can't stray too far away from, you know, the original, you know, canon of that that group. You know. Well, with Transfers Three in particular, uh, first of all, you're dealing with a time travel story and a lot of established uh, plot devices and characters, so that really was a lot more, if you will, serialized uh, than Puppet Master was. Uh, I had to deal with uh, very much what had happened in the second Trancers film, which was the introduction of the Megan Ward character, and just kind of really was just carrying on. Uh, And uh, Charlie, of course, there were production realities that I also had to respect, including we didn't know if we were were going to get Helen Hunt. Uh, Helen Mad About You was already on the air, Helen was was had really graduated uh, to become a pretty big star at that point. Of course, her star only grew, uh, but she agreed to do the movie because she was uh, had a sentimental streak about it. And of course, her dad was good friends with Albert and Charlie Band, so uh, I was very lucky to have her back. But that's the thing: you're following the Lena storyline that goes all the way back to the first movie. We've introduced a second character in the second film. Uh, in Megan Ward, and who was Jack Death's other wife, and you know, you kind of had to take all this stuff, and then uh, going back to what I wanted to do again was kind of the origin point of the Trancers themselves, and so then kind of build in my own plot devices around it. But it, that one very much had to have uh, storylines that connected to the previous movies, much more so than probably anything else I ever did when I uh, did anything at Full Moon. It really, it was like doing an episode of a television show. It's kind of funny because I never really thought about it, uh, like um, that both of them were origin stories in a way, you know, like, uh, I mean, obviously Puppet Master 3 had the, you know, it was a a prequel in a way, you know, and I always knew that, but I never thought about Transfers 3 like that. I mean, because, well, even though it's a time travel thing, they can, they can go back and forth anyway, you know, but right. uh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like you kind of brought that to the, you know, to full moon, you know, with your own, that was probably your own, like, you know, love for origin stories. Well, I, I think, I think I, I did also too, you know, the way these movies were set up and, it was great because we had the backing of Paramount and Paramount was going to be releasing them and everything else. And even if we were being done on uh, with limited money, uh, but it really was. It was a, like a conveyor belt. And the reality is, 
in a, you get into a company like that, uh, the product had to be made to go out into the video stores and hit those shelves. So if I didn't make the movie, somebody else would make the movie. So mm-hmm. it really was just taking whatever opportunity that you had, and I wanted to direct and do all these things, and Charlie uh, Ban and uh, particularly his dad were kind enough to let me uh, have that opportunity. But uh, whether I did it or the next fellow did it or whatever, it, it didn't matter because that movie itself was, in fact, going to get made one way or the other. And That's so you amazing. just kind of jumped on to, yeah, you just jumped into the factory and uh, tried to make your own thing. That's awesome. Um yeah, so uh all right. So let's let's go back uh, cuz now you said you've been doing a lot more of writing uh novels uh more more so than probably screenplays, right? Like recently. Oh yeah, the last few years that's that's been much more of the uh focus, yeah. So when you get up in the morning and uh you've already set your plan to write or whatever, I don't know if you write in the morning or night, but you know, at that day, you have your plan to write. Do you do anything specific before you start, or do you kind of just jump right into it? Well, the, really, depending on what it is, uh, if um, I'm working on a movie book right now, and in this case, uh, I know what my entry is going to be. If I have to write about a specific film or a specific actor or whatever. Uh, I put my notes together and I sit down and I just write my piece because as you know, yeah, I you know I do a lot of film journalism and still write for magazines and things like that. So it's that's that's very uh, if you will compartmentalized. For the novels, uh, I think the best way, at least for me, is I go back to the old Elmore Leonard school, and that is I reread what I have been doing for the past day or the previous day's work, uh, usually finding some things I want to change and do a little bit of rewriting, whatever. And then that just kind of gets the wheels turning uh, as you go uh, uh, into the next piece. Uh, I will say this. One thing, I when, when I'm really working on a novel and it's going well, um, I don't like to end things in uh mid step. I know some writers can do that. I've never I've never understood it. So if uh now I can end the day's work before the end of a chapter because if, especially if the chapter's a long one. But uh whatever I'm writing, whether it's a di- dialogue between two characters or the description of an action piece or a setting or whatever, I make sure that I complete that before I quit for the day or the evening or whatever it is. So at least there's a full, uh, if you will, completed thought to start me on the road for the next thing. But also, too, I usually, I'm pretty good at outlining, at least having notes and things in front of me, uh, particularly uh, because I write a lot of period pieces. So I do a lot of research into weapons and medicine and, you know, what have you, uh, settings. And when I do the Westerns, of course, uh, I do a lot of research into Native American culture and all that type of thing. And so you kind of have all that spread around you with Post-its and open books and, you know, you're, you've uh, bookmarked this on your uh, computer and, and what I, so I kind of surround myself with all that 
stuff and then uh, just dive in uh, from that way. But I always think you have to go back, see what you've done. And also that kind of helps you recapture the rhythm of the way you're laying things down on uh, paper. I, I don't think you can start cold. At least I can't. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. I guess I, I'm weird. I like when I write, especially when I write a script. Um, and I mean, maybe this is the wrong way to do it, or whatever. I guess there's no real wrong way to do it. If it gets written, you know, and you know what I mean, and you're proud of it, I guess there's no wrong way to do it. But um, I, I'll generally just start writing. You know, like I have an idea in my head, and then you know, in characters or whatever, I like kind of map out the characters that I want to start playing with, you know, in the beginning. And then I kind of get a scene going and that scene will lead to another scene that I'll start thinking about. Then I'll start thinking about another scene. And then eventually I have like a first act, you know, done. And then, you know, I do another second act and I, you know, I, I start writing there and it kind of comes together that way. And, I know that's the wrong, like, that's not the way that most screenwriters work, you know? I I don't think that's wrong at all, because the thing is, once you get into it, that's the only way you can discover the different avenues you can take and what your characters will and won't do and how they'll behave and whatever. How are you going to know that until you're actually playing with them? And that's right. always great. The, the great delight is you're working on something and suddenly you go, wow, we, this one character is kind of coming up with his own lines or whatever. Of course, he's really not. But you get into that, that place of, I think, creating uh, your world where then the world itself takes over and you suddenly you're operating by a certain kind of writing instinct and whatever. And sometimes you end up with, I think most of the times you end up with absolutely your best uh, work that way because you're, you're truly in that place in your head. And, oh, God, you know, the writing, of course, just because your hands aren't on the keyboard, it never stops. You're always, always, when you're in the middle of something, I'm always thinking about it. Even when I don't realize I'm thinking about it. And suddenly I'm eating a hamburger and I go, oh, my God, I just realized I did something really great or really stupid on page 37. And then yeah. I jump back into page 37 and I finish it and correct it or whatever I need to do. But uh, it seems everything is always ruminating, I think, all the time until you, you're finally uh, uh, finished with the, uh, with the piece. But now when you're talking about not really the correct way i am definitely a back and forth person and i've read a lot of these increase your word output and all that stuff these books uh novel writing for dummies and all these things i've just devoured that stuff and the one thing i've never been able to completely disconnect from is the idea of editing as i write uh i try not to slow the process down but I will stop and reread what I've done. Mm-hmm. And if something jumps out at me, I will make that change. And I would say, oh, that's the biggest mistake in the world, and you never want to do that, and what have you. And very often I'm reading that in a uh, an e-book that is filled with uh, typographical errors, so I always kind of wonder <laughs> about that wisdom. <laughs> but... Um. 
but, you know, they, I think everybody's process is, is, is different, but don't think that your process is, uh, is wrong because if, if that's the create the comfortable place for you to do your creative work, then you know what? It's right. Uh, and I agree because, um, like, like you said, uh, uh, um, like a minute ago, like that, um, sometimes you'll go back and you'll catch something that you, oops, I, I put that and that, you know, and that thing. But what I'll normally notice is I'll, I'll write something and I'll say something that later on, uh, contradicted something that I already put in it, you know, or whatever. And sure. I won't notice it till I look back and I go, Oh crap. I, I, I said, this person was the, something else, you know, or whatever, you know what I mean? And I'll look back and I'll be like, okay, I need to fix this so it makes sense, you know, because my biggest pet peeve with independent films these days, um, I don't think many independent films I see is even freaking written. I feel like most people just freaking go out with a camera and make a movie these days. That's what it feels like. Um, But when I, my biggest pet peeve is when people are, make things so confusing um, because it's just so overwritten or something. Like, it's, it's such a cool concept or something, but it feels, like, so overwritten. Well, when you talk about independent movies, and I'm, I've am i got kind of a, a, a back burner project I want to uh, uh, get going. Uh, I'm about halfway through about writing uh, uh, for a budget, uh, primarily horror and science fiction. Um, and even independent flicks, and I mean the real, the kind of things that, that quite honestly, we, were, we weren't able to do because you had to have film and all that stuff. But, you know, if you want to go ahead and you, somebody grabs a red camera and they decide to make a movie and they get their friends together and they've got this idea for something that would be a cool zombie flick or whatever it is, and they want to do it for a few thousand dollars. The the reality is that it has to exist or First, unless you're doing a documentary, it really does because that's where you solve your problems and that's where you figure out your story. Because just improvising things, even though it might it might feel, I think, oh my gosh, I'm really, you know, on the cutting edge here, or whatever, you know, you, you want to uh, uh, label it, which uh, frankly is generally wrong. It you you're sacrificing storytelling i think whenever you decide to not do that extra work and a lot of i've talked to a lot of filmmakers over the years and uh uh every once in a while you'll run into somebody who who is just not interested in that part of the process at all they want to shoot something i'm like well if you want to shoot something you've got to learn how to write it first or have a friend Mm -hmm. who can or something because you have to have a blueprint. And I don't mean just a, from a production standpoint, but actually a narrative structure, which, and you know, I'm, maybe I'm reading into what you're saying, but I think that's what you're talking about. That's so much, and particularly, we see this stuff on Amazon or whatever, and it's like, my God, do you guys even understand what you're shooting? It's like your scenes don't fit together. There's no consistency and there's uh, absolutely no sense of flow between you know 
first act to second act and these and these are things we take for granted because we see it all the time and it just seems to be built into our entertainment but it actually has to be created that way and uh that's it's not easy and because it's not easy i think a lot of people a lot of people uh well not lots but we certainly do know that uh filmmakers can shy away from that uh especially mm-hmm. when they're trying their first, their first efforts and uh it's a it's a big mistake and you know John you and i've just uh have talked about this many times that the other big mistake i think a lot of genre filmmakers make or guys who want to be not you know i'm not talking about john carpenter or somebody uh is diet of movies that they that uh these guys tend to live on is only within the genre I, you know, oh my God, I'm going to do uh, some great zombie movie, so I will see uh, every, you know, uh, Burial Ground and Zombie 3 and every, you know, possible uh, flesh-eating zombie movie in the world, particularly if it's Italian, but I've never seen Casablanca, I've never seen Chinatown. I don't the Godfather that's an old movie I'm not interested in that you know it's like no 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 right. you've got to understand dramatic structure and not just live solely on a diet of the genre that you're you know you want to function in you you've got to mm-hmm. understand the 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 it's basically saying listen what you have to do is you have to learn the alphabet and you have to learn your grammar and then you can apply it anywhere you want to but you've got to have right. that foundation and i think sometimes that's missing you know it's one of my favorite stories i've ever heard is um uh there was a okay this is back in the day this is like i mean i don't say back in the day i mean my back in my day you know or whatever but this is like 2005 you know so it's not really like you know <laughs> back in the day day uh, <laughs> yeah, i was gonna but, say yeah yeah, it's not very far, but, you know, uh, there was, um, I think it was like that. It was about that time. Um, uh, Casey, who I've interviewed um, for the Independent Corner back in, uh, back in like, 2008 or nine or whatever it was, um, he was talking about how him and his buddy Worm, and they were both on my show, um, Worm Miller, um, who goes by Joshua Miller now, that's his real name, um, they they're they are doing like this like the hedgehog movie now and they're doing they're doing great so I'm I'm very happy for them. Um, and uh, Patrick was working at a video store, um, uh, Hollywood Video or something in Hollywood. Go figure. Um, and uh, there was a guy that came up and was like had a bunch of zombie movies, you know, right? Like a pile of them. And that he was renting, and so Patrick just jokingly said, "Making all a zombie movie, eh?" You know, and he—I uh, don't think he said a, eh, but you know, making a zombie movie. And he was like, uh, "Yeah, me and my buddy, you know, me and my brother are making a movie, uh, or we were planning to do it, but we we don't have any ideas right now." And he was like, "I've got a zombie script for you," uh, or you know, right? And he was like, "Okay, great." Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, give us two of your best scripts, 
you know, and we'll take a look at them. And so he, he gave him the zombie movie and also a uh, movie called a college sex comedy. And that's the one they wanted, not the zombie movie. They decided to go against the zombie movie and make the uh, college sex comedy, which ended up being Dorm Days for National Lampoon. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, and those guys. Oh, were so, the it, oh so it was the uh, it was the Helen Brands. Yeah, the Helen Brands. I'm sure you know yep. them. Oh yeah. Um, Yes. Uh, actually, uh, I, I talked to Scott the, uh, a few uh, days ago. Um, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, but uh, he's doing very well for himself. So. so he's making some kind of documentary right now. Um, I'm very happy for him. Okay, so just so you know, we're going to go – it's going to get off live. So if anyone's listening live, uh, just tune in later to hear the rest of this conversation. We're only going to be on for like a few more, you know, probably about 10 more minutes. Um, but I kind of want to wrap this up a little bit. Um, and um, I guess um, since we talked about, you know, kind of from the very beginning stages, the very beginning stages, tell us what, um, like, uh, like, what do you do after you write Fade Out? What's your, what's, what's your next thing? Well, of course, generally, as you're you're working on something, you're also figuring out who you want to send it to, what the marketplace is going to be, and uh, you discuss that with your rep if you have one, and you just figure out your strategy. Hey, do I want to get try and get Walter Hill to read this, or do I want to get this to Scarlett Johansson, or you know, do I want to you know try and get this to George Clooney, whatever it is. And so that by the time you've written your fade out, uh, that's the time that you actually have to, you know, get the product out there into the marketplace and hope it reaches the right set of eyeballs. And uh, but that that's uh, um, it's really figuring out the destination for the work uh, is that's almost as important as the work itself. It's uh, because you, uh, once you do it, particularly with a screenplay, uh, now you may not be able to sell it, but unless it goes out to where you want it to go, all you've done is uh, create a doorstop. Right. God knows I've created plenty of those. Yeah. That, see, that's the sucky thing is right now you've got plenty of those that, People should, hey, independent producers, you know, to Hollywood, contact uh, Courtney and buy his scripts so they can get paid. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's the thing uh, that drives me crazy is how many scripts, you know, you know how many scripts are out there that have not been made, you know, oh. like, and yet we're Probably. all we're doing is remaking movies in Hollywood when there's so many original movies so many cool things that just could be made, you know, in the same budget as the as the remakes that they're doing that they don't need to be doing. We don't need, we don't need a child's play TV show. I'm sorry, spend that money on an original film, you know, right? I mean, it just drives me nuts. Well, the the pre-branding 
And that, that safety net is just so important now because uh, everyone is afraid because the amount of money that's involved. And that uh, that's a that's a real you know, John, that's a real tough thing to get around because uh, when they start writing those checks and everybody starts to you know feel a little bit uneasy about what's going to happen with their money. Uh, certainly having something that they feel is already has a built-in audience or is familiar, then that that's great. But also, too, I think we're seeing like a, an awful lot of the remake syndrome and the rebooting and, you know, the new Magnum PI and this type of stuff uh, way more than than we used to. But, of course, Hollywood's always, they've always done this. Oh, and uh, done we're just so exposed to it now. Uh, it just, just, seems, like it just seems like it's everything is, is, is that, yeah. Right. And it definitely does. And that's that's the biggest problem with, um, you know, with things. But in the same sense, like, I mean, people are complaining about it more now probably because it's, it's even more so, you know, than it, than it is before. The coolest thing is that independent films, are getting remade um, that wouldn't normally get remade. Um, and other uh, companies are buying up stuff like, like you look at Puppet Master, just got a new uh, Puppet Master movie that wasn't oh, Craig Zoller, quite, absolutely, uh, sure. a specific full moon. I mean, Charlie uh, executive produced it, but I think he just gave their, you know, gave the blessing basically. And, and, and you know what I mean? Um, oh yeah, no, so I love than... his stuff, and I was a big fan of Bone Tomahawk, of course. And uh, uh, no, I think he's he's terrific. And uh, but that's that's the thing too. Uh, uh, one of the reasons in, that we have to think in terms of, of remakes and being slightly tolerant of them is there is such a need for product more so than ever, even with all these libraries and and everything else. You've got all of these streaming services, all of these premium channels, then the networks and everything. That's a lot of product that needs to be produced in order to fill those needs. And so, of course, they look to their libraries. They look to properties they own uh, to try and uh, you know generate uh, new new uh, product to get to get it out there on the air or get it into Redbox. Definitely, and that's, I mean, that's the thing, like, back in the day, it was the video stores that, like, uh, the, the full moon was pushing, like you said earlier, you know, they were trying to get everything into the video stores, now they're trying to get everything into uh, people's houses by streaming or whatever, and I, I think, I think the biggest problem I have with streaming right now is, um, Either there's two things that either going to happen soon. They're going to have to like cut down. Like Amazon Prime's going to have to stop cutting down on like accepting everything. You know, like Netflix used to do. You know, yeah. Because they don't pay enough. You know, for people they pay like cents for uh, a review. You know what I mean? So you literally have to make. Um, millions and millions of views in order to make anything, you know. And it, oh, the the, it's the certain... licensing fees on this stuff and everything else 
especially for independent movies, is just astronomically low. And uh, going back to, if you will, the old days, uh, in the uh, 80s and everything else, they, we would, uh, if you made a movie uh, for someone like Mark Lester or whoever it was, or Canon, where, where those places where I was, what the, they would pre-sell the film, they would sell the foreign rights. And you know what? The foreign rights would go for enough money that covered the production cost of the movie. Wow! I mean, those days are way done. Yeah, people don't write checks do that, for no. two million bucks up front. No, <laughs> that does not happen now. But everything was raining gold because of the uh, video explosion. But now the need for product, as we said, there's this enormous furnace that has to be fed. But by the same token, there is still also all this independent stuff. And these guys are just inundated with DVDs and Blu-rays every single day. How do they choose what works best for Lifetime, what works best for Amazon, what works best for Hulu or uh, YouTube uh, Red or all anything else all these different variations, and they all need stuff. And they also go, look, you know, here's the deal. Take it or leave it. And uh, most filmmakers will take it, of course, because they want their product out there. They want people to see it. And you hope against hope that either you have a hit or it leads to the next movie. Well, you know, and that's the funny thing is most filmmakers these days, independent filmmakers these days, have realized we could just sell our own fucking projects and stuff and keep the money that the middleman, you know, uh, won't give to us anyway. Um, and what, what a lot of people end up doing is doing create space on Amazon and just at least having their movie out there and stuff like that, making their own DVDs to sell and things like that, which, I mean, if you can do it and you can make money off of it, go right ahead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, which just shows that there's, there's just all these different ways to make uh, something work that is not necessarily the traditional way. Mm -hmm. And uh, my God, you know, who I remember when, uh, when, when Clue Gulliger, when, when Clue was asked to uh, be in Tangerine by one of his ex students and this thing was being done on the guy's phone. And Mm -hmm. who would have guessed, that that movie would lead to something like the Florida Project, which gets nominated for Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. That's so, crazy. And I forget, again, didn't Soderbergh do one, too? Like, on his phone, like Unsane? Was that on his yeah. iPhone? Yep. Yes. So it just, it, yeah. it just means that, you know, oh, my God, when... Uh, grubbing around after college and trying to find work at Roger Corman's and wherever it was, boy, you wanted to make a movie, guess what? You were buying film stock and you were renting cameras and you had to have a laboratory and dailies and negatives and on and on and on and on. And uh, it was a lot of money and it was a lot of process. And uh, all that's been eliminated. And so there's this great freedom to get what you want out there, but by the but you know again I'm always erring on the side of caution that if you're going to do that you need to uh, at least grab a legal tablet and scribble it down in some fashion first. Yeah. 
Well, uh, thank you so much. Like I said, we could we could probably talk for hours and hours, and unfortunately, I don't have the money for that for this podcast because it costs about forty dollars a month to 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 make it uh, so we can talk for more than forty five minutes. But um, you know, blog talk radio is not cheap. Um, but uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, for calling in tonight. Um, is there any projects that you're working on lately? Well, you know, I've got uh, two book series. Uh, Shotgun is uh, Pinnacle, and the newest one just came out in June, These Violent Times. And uh, that's been optioned for, uh, uh, for movies. And Nemo Rising uh, from Tor, uh, that's the big boy. That came out on Christmas Day as a hardback. And uh, uh, not only WizKids is doing the board game of it, but that has been optioned for a television series through uh, MPCG. Oh, wow. So, so there we go. So the 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 novels have brought me back to the uh, screenwriting. So we're we're back playing uh, in the big backyard again. Well, are you uh, writing the, uh, the the pilot for that? Yes, I am. Yeah, for both, and awesome. the executive producer of both. That's awesome. That's great. I'm. Uh... I'm happy for you, dude, because that's just, I mean, just having, uh, I mean, I guess TV is the is the thing that's happening. I mean, I, I know I, I joked, all right, you know, that uh, the new child's play thing, but I mean, I just, I don't, I don't get it when they're doing a movie and a TV show. Like, no, it just, I, it, I agree. It boggles my mind. Um, they, it's just like people have too much money and they're just like, what do we do with this? Well, we need a new TV show. Let's do Child's Play. But then, you know, when when something really great uh, genre-wise comes along, like uh, I just adored uh, Penny Dreadful. I thought that was just tremendous. And uh, you see these great things. Have you seen uh, any of uh, Get Shorty? Not yet. Um, But I love the original movie, so. Forget the original movies, man. They are, because they are not, you know, they're Elmore Leonard, but not really. This right. is Elmore Leonard. So that was tough. Like, that was very Sonnenfeld, Elmore Leonard. Yeah, and know, very jokey and fine and light, but man, this is tough and funny and violent and bloody and absolutely fantastic. My uh, my dad's a huge Elmore Leonard fan. Um, and, uh, you know. Uh, loved all his loves all his books. Uh, he does like Spencer, I think, doesn't he? Spencer? That was Robert Parker. Was Spencer? No, it was Robert Parker. He does a Robert Parker. He likes Elmore Leonard too. Uh, so uh, yeah, and the thing them. is with Get Shorty, it's all the guy. It's Adam Arkin. It's all the guys who were involved in Justified. Oh, oh wow, yeah, he definitely. Of course, that was Elmore that, Leonard. Yeah. So yeah, so they continued on with Get Shorty, and they just went back to the novel origins. And oh man, it really kicks ass. It's wonderful. Well, how can uh, and I'm not oh, involved. I just, <laughs> I just love it. So that's why I'm endorsing it. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's not like you're writing on it or anything. You're you're just nope. telling uh-uh. people to check it out. Yep. Um. And that is great. I like The Good Place. That's my kind of, you know, that's one of the shows I watch. Or it's oh, always God, I have just people. devoted to that, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, how can uh, people uh, reach you? 
social media wise? Oh, gee, uh, I saw my uh, my little website, which desperately needs to be uh, updated. See CourtneyJoiner dot com, and uh, there's a little you know mail thing on there if you want to uh, pop me a note or anything at all uh, uh, to. Uh, you know, say, hey, wow, I think you're great, or you suck, or you, you know, <laughs> you make absolutely no sense on the podcast. What's your problem? We can, you know, <laughs> I'd be happy to address all of those issues. All right. Well, thank you so much, and it was a pleasure talking to you once again. Okay, John, thank you so much for having me. All right, have a great night. Okay, you too. Okay, bye. Bye.